From Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground, and I'm your host, Esther Averam. On this show, the first in a series featuring unheard voices of resistance from 2018, this is part one of our presentation from a recent D.C. Council public hearing where residents spoke out on brutality and misconduct by the Metropolitan Police Department. Unfortunately, there are a lot of bad actors within the MPD that have used their badge and the power they're granted by the city to terrorize and harass young black and brown men across the city. The July hearing was held after several controversial interactions between police and residents in D.C.'s predominantly black neighborhoods after no officers were charged in recent police-involved deaths of black men and boys and as the district experienced a spike in homicides disproportionately impacting black youth. It is really, really sad because a lot of youth are dying because they're not getting the service they need. Instead of that young man being on the block, selling drugs, selling weed, marijuana, crack heroin, whatever the case may be, he can be in the program. Y'all need to do better. That and more is coming up. Good evening. Thank you all very much for joining us. Uh, my name is Charles Allen. I am the Ward 6 Council Member and Chair of the Council's Committee on Judiciary and Public Safety. Uh, today is Thursday, July 12, 2018. We're at the Deanwood Recreation Center in Ward 7, and reconvening this public oversight roundtable, calling it to order. Uh, this evening, the committee is going to be exploring the topics of policing and public safety in Ward 7 and 8. This is a continuation of our morning session, which was held at the Wilson Building, where we heard from our government witnesses, the Metropolitan Police Department's Chief Peter Newsham, and the Office of Police Complaints Director Michael Tobin, as well as many members of the public, and we're picking back up with more public witnesses this evening. Although I spoke to our reasoning for convening today's roundtable in our morning session, since obviously not everybody was able to be there, uh, I want to uh, spend a, a second reiterating some of those points. We've experienced throughout the district, but particularly in wards 7 and 8, a number of recent well-publicized negative police and resident interactions. These incidents have included the shooting of household pets while responding to calls for service or for executing search warrants. Officers have worn clothing that glorifies violence or death and sanctions brutality while in open court. And black men have been killed in officer-involved shootings and collisions. I've heard from many residents who are looking for answers. I've watched the videos of at least two recent incidents here in Deanwood, both on June 13th, the stop and frisk of several individuals outside of Nook's Barbershop on Sheriff Road, as well as on June 25th when MPD uh, returned to the scene and had a resulting confrontation with residents. The conduct in both videos does not reflect our DC values and I don't believe improve public safety. Uh, thank you, uh, Chairman Allen. And uh, good evening to everyone here this evening. I'm at-large Council Member Robert White, and uh, I'm grateful for Council Member Allen holding this oversight roundtable in the community. We're here to discuss policing and public safety in Wards 7 and 8. I gave these statistics at the roundtable this morning, but I think that this data is far too critical not to repeat. There were 116 homicides in the District of Columbia in 2017. This year, homicides are up almost 50%, and almost half the killings recorded so far in 2018 have taken place east of the Anacostia River. The part that is most devastating about this, these killings this year is that more than half of these victims have been under the age of 19, 
so these have been children. We have to end this senseless violence, and we must do it strategically. After I saw the footage of the stop and frisk, the police and residents standoff, and police jogging through the neighborhood the following day in front of Nook's barbershop, I was furious. I met with Ward 7 Neighborhood Advisory Commissioner Anthony Lorenzo Green, as well as one of the men involved in the stop and frisk incident. We discussed the incidents that had occurred, the community's frustrations, and possible solutions for repairing relationships between the community and MPD. As a government, we must do a better job of collaborating with the communities most impacted by violence to find solutions, especially when we have some members of our community feeling unheard. Police and community relations must be strong in every ward with every segment of our population. But 80% of stop and frisk encounters in the district are with African Americans. In fiscal year 2017, 89% of reported use of force incidents were against African Americans, even though African Americans make up only 48% of the city's population. I hope this evening's roundtable will give us an opportunity to collaborate with this community to identify potential short and long-term solutions on how to improve policing in our communities. As a young black man growing up in the District of Columbia, I know far too well the feeling of that your rights are being violated, but feeling powerless to stop it. It is demoralizing. Long before I was a council member, I was a young man with cornrows, frequently stopped by police for no reason at all, and I knew it was wrong, and I also knew there was nothing I could do about it. Less than two months ago, I was sitting in my office when I got a call from a family member who's a minor. He had been stopped by an MPD officer in a store on his way to school. The officer was asking for his ID, and my family member believed he had done nothing wrong and was nervous about what information, what his information would be used for. So he called me to ask if he had to give the officer his ID. I told him that legally he did not, but for his own safety, he had to. That is not the way things should work, and I will not defend actions that are unjust. I also have had and seen many exceedingly positive interactions with police, and I believe that our police play a critical role in public safety, and I want to work to build bridges that inarguably are in need of some repair. I believe that tonight's roundtable is one of the best starts in repairing those bridges. Thank you, Councilmember. All right, we're going to turn to our public witnesses. Advisory Neighborhood Commissioner Anthony Lorenzo Green. Uh, I represent Single Member District 7C04, which is uh, a third of the Deanwood community from Eastern Ave down to 44th Street, from Sheriff Road to J Street, a small portion of Nanny Helen, and also includes Nook's Barbershop, Little Jewel's Daycare, Uncle Lee's um, Liquors, and Sonny's Carryout. I want to thank this committee for having this roundtable to discuss policing and public safety in Ward 7 and 8. And it's unfortunate that it took incidents on Sheriff Road to cause this hearing to come to place today. Because um, we know that there have been a long string of incidents over the years where there have been negative interactions with police. And unfortunately, every time we have this conversation, it gets drowned out with, oh, well, there's a lot of good police. And we know that. Um, many of our folks in our community will tell you who they are. They will give you their names. They interact with them every day. Unfortunately, there are a lot of bad actors within the MPD that 
have used their badge and the power they're granted by the city to terrorize and harass young black and brown men across the city, not just in Ward 7 and 8, but in black and brown communities across the city. Um, and what I would like to see is a better approach to whatever community policing is, because it's come to me that it's just simply a buzzword. There's no oomph behind it. There's nothing behind it. Because anytime that you look at the video that I'm proud that you guys played it earlier in its entirety in the morning session, the June 13th incident in front of Nook's Barbershop, that's not the type of policing that I want to see tolerated in the Deanwood community and other communities across the city. When I first saw that video, which was on June the 22nd, it was posted on social media, and I took that entire weekend to really look at different angles of the video, because there were tons of videos of that day on Instagram. Um, and on Sunday morning, I wrote the letter to Chief Newsom inquiring about the video, inquiring about the gun recovery unit, which I am fully aware of this unit because they, I'm not going to say popular in a good way. You know, many folks in communities in Ward 7 and 8 know certain members of that gun recovery unit, including the individual that we all see in the video pull out the BB gun from the strangers or the mystery man that was on that block that no one can seem to identify. One thing that baffles me about that video is the police allowed an individual who had a weapon in our community. They did not identify it as a BB gun on the scene. They immediately put the gun in their own ways and allowed him to walk away and hop in a vehicle like nothing happened. While everyone else that was on that block, some of which I went to school with, many folks who actually grew up in this community, were harassed and had their Fourth Amendment rights violated right on the spot. And I'm actually proud of the young men and women on the 5200 block of Sheriff Road who took the initiative to not only tell the officers what they believe were their rights as they identified them in the video. I do not consent to this search. They also had a casual conversation with the officers when they first pulled up, when they asked about the tenant windows on the car with expired tags. And they explicitly said that they were only there about the tenant windows. Uh, then it immediately turned it to whoever this individual was standing out that day. My thing is, if we're going to really engage certain segments of our community to provide services and assistance, we have to actually engage them as human beings and stop treating them as their savages in our neighborhood. These are folks that grew up in Deanwood. I'm a Deanwood native. I'm a proud Deanwood native. And I don't say that divisively. I say that because there are many members of this community who are not as engaged as many will hope they are, but they're here. They live their lives every day. And when this video came out, my phone and my email and my social media accounts were blown up that entire weekend with folks inquiring about why is this still happening in our community? And the word, the key word is still. There are a lot of young brothers and sisters in our community who do have jobs that you may see pull up a lawn chair to the corner, but there's an assumption that they're bad actors, they're doing something wrong. There are a lot of young brothers who have been harassed by MPD coming home from work. There's a young brother that owns a small business within our neighborhood. He works out in Virginia, hangs out in Maryland, but every time he comes home to Deanwood, his car is constantly pulled over, his, he's questioned about tents on his window, and he's constantly asked about whether he has guns in his car. These are individuals that live in Deanwood. There is a, a knee-jerk reaction to constantly call the police whenever they see a group of black boys on the corner, but there are other neighbors in the community who will tell you, why don't you just go out there and say hi? Why don't you introduce yourself? Why don't you get to know them? There are neighbors that reached out to me and told me stories about how 
a group of young men in the community they always saw across the street and they had the assumption that they were doing something bad. But once they got to know them, they realized that these young men were actually looking out for them. They were looking out for their cars to make sure no one's breaking in. And these are the same stories that you hear on the 5200 block of Sheriff Road, particularly Nook's Barbershop and Little Jewel's Daycare. A lot of them feel like they raised these young men on that corner and they're the reason why they have not had a lot of the criminal activity that comes over the Maryland border from Fairmont Heights and Ch Chapel Oaks, why some of that criminal activity is not affecting that block in the last year, which crime is down 50% on that very block. They have a very tight-knit community. They believe in policing their own block with positivity, and we need to make sure that as long as that we have MPD or gun recovery unit or whatever unit that's roving around our city, that they fully understand the culture of our community and the residents that live in it. I grew up in a community where it was easy to find an outdoor basketball court. Right now, there are no outdoor basketball courts in Deanwood. The basketball courts that were down here at this rec center are tennis courts. The basketball court that was at Roper, which is now Ron Brown, is a tennis court. They are drastically underutilized. But I have folks asking me, why can't these young brothers and sisters get off the block? Why can't they go down to the rec center? Go down to the rec center and do what exactly? This facility has been used as a revenue generator for the city so they can pull in dollars from Merlin and whoever else wants to rent space in this building. It has not been a community place for Deanwood. And folks need to remember when this place first opened that there was a line drawn right in the middle of the pool that said that side was yours and this side was ours. There were shootings at this building when it first opened. That means something. So when we have these conversations about what services are needed for our community and how we can help folks. We have to understand the culture, the long-term culture of Deanwood and the surrounding neighborhoods and why there are very few safe spaces for our young brothers and sisters. Of course, a barbershop is a safe space for our young brothers and sisters. A barbershop that's been in our community for 25 years. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Ms. Yuri. Hello, my name is Renaud and I'm a Palestinian a member of Occupation Free DC. And I've lived in DC for four years as I attended the George Washington University. I've seen how safety isn't found behind the barrel of a gun. For the last four years of being in DC, as, at, as well as at home in Palestine, growing up around sniper towers and checkpoints packed with armed soldiers did not make my upbringing easy. Waking up to siren noises and sleeping to the flashing colors of cop cars was not a safety measure, but something that instilled fear. I live in Ward 2, with the most privileged of DC residents, and I still do not feel safe knowing that police around me have been trained by individuals that believe that all Palestinians are terrorists, because that is not the case. In the same way, it's extremely dangerous to my black neighbors in DC that cops assume that they are threats. Training police in Israel only encourages them to see black and brown citizens as threats, not as community members who deserve safety. And no one's safety can come at the expense of another. Whether they are training on when to use skunk spray and rubber bullets in Israel or learning tactics used in the war on drugs in America, people like me and others in this room who are fighting for their human rights end up bearing the overwhelming brunt. Brown and black communities are not the problem, and state violence is not the solution to community violence and community deprivation. This is where the NEAR Act evidence-based community health approach to curing violence comes in. 
It has the framework that will hold police accountable for all their actions. And the fact that Chief Newsham considers his training in Israel the best of his career is troubling. Because as an individual that lived under occupation, I saw nothing but blood drip from the hands of the people that trained him. I'm in D.C. not to be back in a war zone. And I'm outraged to see black residents of D.C. treated like subjects under occupation of security forces. I urge that D.C. Council invest in community safety by working to fully fund and successfully implement the NEAR Act and to completely end all police trainings in Israel. Thank you. Thank you very much. Commissioner Knight. Hello, how you doing? My name is Corwin Knight, and I'm a commissioner on reentry and return to Citizens Affair. I'm also the CEO of the Hope Foundation Reentry Network, which is a nonprofit organization. Um, I'm, I'm here to represent both of them myself. One of the first pieces I have to talk about is uh, how can we make this a safe haven for our kids without them feeling like they're a threat, without they feeling like uh, every time they see a police. Uh, most kids and individuals cringe like, like it's the end of the world. I live in Ward 8, and I see a lot of my kids standing on out, outside on the corners uh, because there's really nothing to do. I'm 49, and when I came up, we had the Boys and Girls Club. We had, uh, we had uh, home economics in school. Uh, we had the barbershop program. I went through Phelps Career Center as a, a plumber mechanic. Um, I was an architect. I was in school for architect. Uh, I went to school for um, I went to school for business management. So when we was in school, they had so many different programs that had us so busy. And I look at my kids today, and I'm and I and I was trying to figure out: Do they still have home economics in school? Huh? Do they still have the half a day programs where, where you go to school half a day and then you go to a training program the other half? Um, this is how I became a plumber, and I've been a plumber for 30 years, a licensed plumber, because I went to school for it. I was introduced to it in school. These kids don't have anything to be introduced to. It's no, it's no, it's... It, it, it's no services um, rendered for these kids. And, and I started an organization, um, I'm going to go back. I started an organization as soon as I came home from jail. Um, I came home from jail in 2007 after serving three, three and a half years. That was like the second time. But when I came home, I said it was something that the kids needed because I seen the need for the services. So when I interact with these kids, I get to interact with the parents. I find the needs of the parents. I support the parents. I support the kids. I work in the jail. I support the jail. I support the individual coming home. I don't ask for nothing. All I ask is when I reach my hand out is that they reach their hand out and help the next individual. It's our responsibility. It's my community. It's my community, so it's my responsibility. Thank, Thank you, Mr. Knight. Thank you again all for your testimony. One of the things that I was thinking about in this morning's session, last week I co-hosted a, a conversation with Attorney General Carl Racine, and it was with a, a pretty large group of middle school students. And the middle school students had talked about violence in their own community, and they'd written essays. And so we were pulling together to talk about how they, what they wrote and the stories they told. And as we had this conversation, and several of my council colleagues had joined in that, um, the conversation turned to policing. 
And the question got asked to each of the students, when you see an, an officer with MPD, how does it make you feel? Can you boil that down to one word? And there were some who said they feel safe, but there were many more voices who said, I feel cautious, I feel scared, I feel apprehensive. Um, and then one young person who said, um, I'm not sure if I'm gonna get shot. And the room was packed with their parents, with their teachers, their educators, all incredibly proud of the work that they've done, but you could feel this moment where the adults in the room were listening to these young voices speak truth to what their own experience is. And we reflected on that a lot. And when we think about the policing, you know, I think, Commissioner Green, I think you had kind of said, you know, community policing is a buzzword. So I just wanted to ask you if you want to elaborate any more on, from your perspective, um, the, the stability of the, the officers and leadership that you get to know, which I think is also another way to talk about building the relationships of trust. And um, how do you feel the trust works right now or doesn't work right now? Sure, let me um, dwell on that a little bit. MPD's version of building trust in the community is having a lot of closed door meetings with various leaders in the community. That's their version of building trust. When you ask everyday folks in the neighborhood, they don't have no interactions with MPD. They usually see them sitting at a corner in their vehicle, not getting out, not going around introducing themselves. You know, that's, that's what they do. You know, on social media, you'll see endless pictures of them taking our grandmothers out for coffee and donuts. That's great. Yeah, treat my grandmother nice. Absolutely. You know, but what about their grandkids? You know, what about them? Those are the ones that are being treated as animals. And the incident that, you know, let me back up just a little bit. When the video came out and I wrote that letter to the chief and I held a press conference right in front of Nook's Barbershop on Monday, June 25th, it was my expectation that MPD will look at that video, look at the, the feedback they received from the community, the outrage from the community about that video and say, you know what? Yeah, we could have did something better. We understand. Let's try to work on this. Let's try to rebuild what's been broken from this stop and frisk that happened on Sheriff Road. But the response from that was that very night, they chose six district officers, by the way, okay? Sent 50 to 60 officers up on the 5200 block of Sheriff Road that night and claimed they were doing a business check. When I came out there, and I was just leaving the Deanwood Citizens Association regular meeting, just leaving the room, and we got a call say, hey, you need to get out here on Sheriff Road. And we balled up to Sheriff Road, and all I saw was a big old brawl between MPD and community members. And it wasn't just young men this time. It was young women and kids. A little girl got pepper sprayed that night. That's real. And the explanations from Chief Newsom since then has been labeling that part of the community as liars, calling me a liar, saying the community provoked them. But anyone that watched any of the videos, all the different angles from that very night, we weren't the ones that were provoking MPD. Our residents rised up and stood their ground and said, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. You're going to respect us. You're going to stop harassing us. That's why you saw a whole line of community members standing on the sidewalk because they were pushed from one sidewalk to the street to the other sidewalk, stood in their face and said, no, we're not doing this no more. And they sung a song. I can't repeat the words of the song, but, you know, it was beautiful if you heard it. But, you know, that's, that night for me really broke the camel's back of whatever level of trust that was available in the hardest hit uh, segments of our community. 
And it's going to take a long time to rebuild that. But we can't rebuild that based on dishonesty. Chief Newsom has to be honest about his officers, not just the gun recovery unit, but certain members of 6th District and other districts that work hand in hand with the gun recovery unit because Jeffrey Price was killed on Division Ave at the beginning of May for riding the ATV. And the response, the response to that killing by MPD was to do a raid on his mama's house, on his girlfriend's mama's house, kill their dog. That's their response. You killed someone in our community and you went up in their house, did a warrantless search, killed their animal in front of their kids while they're having a cookout, a family event that we all will have in our neighborhood. That's the response. And only now today are they saying, oh, we're, we're disciplining these officers. They were removed from the unit. What they didn't say that they were removed from gun recovery unit and placed back into 6D and 7D. That's what happened. They're still on our streets. So if they want to rebuild trust, they really got to be honest about how they're policing our communities. And we have to have an honest conversation about community-controlled policing. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to turn uh, now to actually our Ward 7 council member who's, uh, we are in Ward 7, so thank you, Councilmember Gray. Uh, he's also a member of this committee and was with us for uh, almost all the, the morning session as well. So let me turn now to Mr. Gray for a round of questions. Thank you very much, uh, Chairman Allen, and uh, thank you all very much for coming out to be a part uh, of this continuing discussion. I listened carefully this morning. And, um, you know, those who had some of the concerns about what happened, uh, you know, with the, the gun recovery unit walking into somebody's house, I expressed those today. And that is, I happen to believe that those officers who were involved in that uh, situation should not have been put back into any form of uh, law enforcement. They should have been fired. Uh, and that's... Uh, I, I asked today, you know, how long is this investigation going to take? Uh, and the Chief Newsom told me 30 days. I said, that's just, that's not quick enough. And he promised me that he would make every effort to try to have this done in a week. But those officers, given the level of disrespect that was demonstrated to that family, and, and folks were very, very respectful to them. Anybody who saw the video saw that. They were asked, what do they want? Do they have a warrant? And it wasn't in a disrespectful way by any stretch of the imagination. And they got absolutely no answer. In the first place, we what's happening to the thing. We believe in all kinds of things. We don't see it. We're tired of asking for it. We demand it. And so, and so, and so do I. And so do I. I want to see action also. I want to see people who, who are sworn officers respect the community that they've been hired to serve. Can let me just say, let, Mr. Gray finish. let me just mention one critical point here. The day that they did the stop and frisk on June 13th was the same day that the mayor made an announcement of $11.4 million investment on that same block. So it's weird and very weird for me that they chose to send all the gun recovery unit officers on that same block that the mayor said that she want to wipe out that block and push out the residents in this community. So we need to be honest about what's happening in Deanwood, and we need to be honest about what's happening in our city. Mr. Chairman, we have, uh, we have Jeffrey Price's mom here, I think, and perhaps we ought to hear from her. Uh, I'd be happy to uh, cede some of my time over to her to talk about what happened. I mean, we have an extra I, seat right here. 
My name is Denise Price. Thank you. I'm the mom of Jeffrey Price. My property was searched unlawfully um, with kids in the yard, my family, my kids, my grandkids. So at this point, I'm feeling unsafe. I've been a D.C. resident all my life. I don't feel the trust that I one time had for officers. I've worked and paid taxes all of my life. I've been off the uh, last year because I had knee surgery, but I'm not a mom to stay home, that um, break laws or anything like that. And the only thing I asked them when they came in my yard was, which, what are you here for? And I, mm-hmm. spe- I feel that I should have had the respect of them so do I. telling me the reason. And I um, also called 911, <laughs> as you can see on the tape, to get someone out there but no one ever responded. Ms. Price, uh, I, I believe that that is a, was a search that was illegal. I believe it was unwarranted. They did not provide a search warrant. They did not simply just answer your questions. You and other members of your family who were asking questions, saying very clearly, as you can see on the video, I do not give you permission to go on the property. When you asked, you and your family asked very clearly, uh, do you have a search warrant? What is the cause for this? The complete and utter silence by those officers is completely unacceptable. And also, one assaulted my 16-year-old grandson. Uh, this snugged him for robbery, and I said, what's the reason for that? He's in his grandmother's backyard. Why, why that action? And he never answered, so yeah. I don't know. No. You are listening to D.C. residents speaking out at a D.C. Council public hearing about brutality and misconduct by the Metropolitan Police Department. You just heard Denise Price, mother of Jeffrey Price, killed in May 2018 in a collision between his dirt bike and an MPD vehicle. This is On the Ground, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital on Pacifica Radio. I'm Esther Averam. And now, more from the hearing. I'm going to turn now to Councilman Robert White for some questions. Uh, I first want to uh, very much thank this panel for, for coming and offering your testimony. I think the feedback is incredibly useful. So, uh, you know, part of our job that, you know, and let me just speak for myself, I try to do better each day, is uh, to represent you, your needs, your views, uh, because I went from sitting in the seat to the audience to feeling like there were not enough folks in this city speaking up for people like me and people like my family, and that's why I decided to run for office. And there's a difference between the council and the administration, and that difference is very important. Uh, the council does not run agencies. We try to do oversight. Uh, the most important job that I have is to speak for you, to speak for residents who are not elected officials. The only way I can do that well is if I hear from you, which is why I think it's important, and I'm grateful for uh, Chairman Allen for holding this hearing in the community so we can hear from the community about how we improve relationships. I think the reality is that the police are not going to disappear. Um, and so what we need is to figure out collectively uh, how we improve relationships so that we feel safe, so that we feel protected, and do not feel that we are under threat uh, for living. Uh, certainly nobody believes uh, that it should be a crime to be black. Uh, but many times we do see that, many times we do feel that, and I've experienced that personally all too many times in my life. And I expressed that to the chief uh, this morning. And 
My hope is that he heard me. What I want to figure out is how we turn the corner. Uh, I know Commissioner uh, Green and I have had some of these conversations. I've had some of these conversations with other members of the community. What, what I really want to know is, one, where do community members feel we are now? And two, more importantly, how do we move to a better place? One of the things uh, that I heard from a number of uh, members of this panel is that we need uh, increasing community activities. So that's something for us to, to try to figure out. I am committed to doing that. What I want to know with the limited time, I'm on a timer, so my time runs out and I have to pass the microphone. Uh, with the time that I have, I would like to know if I could take 30 seconds for each person on this panel, if you can give me uh, your thoughts on what MPD could do uh, to interact better with the communities uh, that you serve. And I'm just going to ask that you keep it brief, uh, 30 seconds, so that I can make sure I get to everybody in the time I have allotted. How you doing? My name is Sade. I'm a youth. I work with Ms. Tanisha Murder. What can MPD do to improve relationships with your community? From my opinion, as me being a youth, I have been incarcerated, locked up in juvenile, so... When I'm in the house and I don't have nothing to do, I go outside. When I go outside, it's officers following, saying you can't stand right here. We move around, they following us. Like, we go to the playground, they pull out their mace, want to, y'all doing too much. I'm like, what's going on? Like, the community needed to change. Y'all needed to get better services. Y'all keep saying y'all trying, y'all need to do. Y'all want us to do? Y'all want us to do all this stuff? But y'all not doing anything for our community. It is sad. It is really, really sad. Because a lot of youth are dying. A lot of youth are dying. Because they're not getting the service they need. Instead of that young man being on the block, selling drugs, selling weed, marijuana, crack heroin, whatever the case may be, he can be in the program. Y'all need to do better. It's a lot of... It's a lot of racism going on in the city. I'm not saying people getting killed because of that, but from what I've been saying as a youth, it has been because of that. If y'all set programs for us black kids, we would have better stuff to do. Y'all starting the um, summer youth employment with the age 13, 14, y'all need to start that at 12. It's kids younger than that getting locked up because they want to go out here, rob the store, flash mob the store. Man, y'all got to do better as a community, as us. I don't care, black, white, whatever color you is, come together. Um, so, in my opinion, I grew up under occupation. I grew up in a military war zone. Um, and D.C. is starting to be mimicked by that. Um, I grew up with snipers, with curfews. Doesn't look like it, but it was real and it was hard. And the fact that DC police are getting trained by my occupier, by a military white supremacist state, that needs to stop. And that's one step towards better policing. Like, just like you said, we're not gonna get rid of the police, but the police shouldn't be trained to be racist. Thank you. Ms. Murder, how we can improve? Um, um. From my perspective, I think they need to go, they need to get retrained again. Um, I feel like they need to be uh, a psychiatric evaluation on them um, because a lot of them are still human and they, they still have a family, they still have a life. 
Um, some of them have dealt with a lot of different things that they never even um, talked about or they never even faced. So the only way they face it, the only way they deal with it is get involved with something where they can be able to utilize their authority. So I feel as though if they can get properly trained um, and go through a psychiatric evaluation, um, and I feel like if they be more interactive with um, the youth, it would be so much better to bridge that gap between the two. Thank you. And I'm going to follow on that same theme because I'm just reminded of a conversation that I had with Assistant Chief Chanel Dickerson. And, you know, we had a very honest conversation, I believe, a week ago. And she mentioned that a lot of her office, she believe, are dealing with a lot of trauma themselves. You know, and I feel like, okay, if we have a lot of officers on the streets who are dealing with trauma, we have communities who are dealing with trauma, it's not creating a, a great mix for us to really engage with each other. And we really need to assess all of our members of the police force to see whether they truly are fit to continue to serve. Because when you look at that video from June 13th, there were a few officers that, you know, gave me the thought that maybe they were on some type of performance enhancement in drugs because, you know, they were going out a little rambunches, getting out of control, and there was actually one officer that said, you know what, I got him. You know, just stepped in and cut the, the guy off and just told him I got this individual. Because clearly he was... He was a little too excited. Um, so that tells me that we are communities, as well as the police officers, are dealing with a lot of trauma, and we have to really invest in that and try to deal with that. I carry a lot of pain myself growing up in the city. You know, as an adult, I still hold on to some of that pain, you know, but I do what I need to do to address it. We have officers who are dealing with a lot of pain as well, and I'm not trying to be very sympathetic or try to excuse their behavior, but in order to get to the bottom of this problem, we need to assess our officers that are in our communities. And I'm way over time as a home, so if you keep me honest in 30 seconds, please. I think a lot of people touched on a lot of points that need to occur, not only programs as well as uh, out outreach. Um, we need some type of organization or something where it's a little bit more independent and can actually, that we can basically intervene before we have to have something legal happen to this to, to whatever the situation is. So uh, I think I was talking to the ones office and they were trying to say they had inter interrupters or people who intervene for this actually become a case before people have to, are, are talking about sending kids to jail at such a young age. Let's intervene and figure out what, what is really broken in the system, whether it's education, whether it's something else. Something else is broken in the system before we get to the officer. The officer or the police are trying to clean up something so that some type of failure to happen currently other, elsewhere in the system. So it's kind of a little bigger than just Thank you. Go ahead. thank you all very much. We're going to move to our next panel of public witnesses, but thank you all very much. Thank you. For the next panel that we're going to be calling up, um, we've got four individuals who uh, would like to testify, but wanted to do so in a way that their images were not shown on TV. So I am looking to channel 13 camera to make sure that we are cutting away the video. I would ask for members of the media to respect this. You good? Okay, thank you. Okay, um, so I have four individuals. I'm going to use their initials to come up um, and to testify. So I have KS, DR, MH, and RA. All right, thank you both for, for being here. We have other public witnesses I'm going to move to right after this, which are, all have their names there. Um, so I'm going to let you decide how, if you would like to go by initials or go by name, um, that's, I'm going to put that decision in your hands. So you decide how you want to do that. 
but sir, we'll start, how about we'll start with you, on, you first, and then we'll move to you. If you'll just introduce yourself, uh, and again, you'll have about three minutes to testify. If you'll just pull the mic up a little closer so that you, uh, everything gets picked up. You hear me? Good? Yes, sir. Good evening. You call me JT. I'm a Ward 8 resident. In October, I was driving 16th S Street, didn't use a turn signal. Gun unit pulled me over. Let me, let me get their names right. Yeah, so basically, the gun recovery unit, whatever you call them, pulled me over. Officer Justin Rogers, badge 4835. Officer Matthew Hiller, badge 3783. And Officer John Wright, Badge 2907. They pull me over for not using a turn signal. Um, I give my license. Um, and they asked, could they search my car for guns? I told them no, because I myself am a federal uh, law enforcement officer. Uh, I told them that. I told them no. You could run my tags, run my uh, identification, everything good. They ran it. They said, okay, since you don't want to let us search your car, we're going to call the dogs. So the dogs come. It's about 10 cops at this time. They made me wait like 30 minutes for the dogs to come. Somehow the dog says there's guns in my car. <laughs> Somehow. You know? So they took my car for six days. Six days. You know, I had to uh, tell my manager at work, people I know, they like, yo, how they, how they take your car? You. You know what I'm saying? And when I talked to some of the, uh, I think it was the lieutenant, the lady who ever run the unit or one of the higher ups, you know, when I went to pick my car up when they didn't find any guns or drugs or, you know, thankfully they didn't plant nothing. That was my real concern. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they will do that. They will do that. So she basically said there had to have been guns in my car because the dog said that there was guns in my car. Um, so basically, uh, Councilman Gray, you said uh, those... Uh, other officers should be fired. I think these officers should be fired. Um, Rogers was the one in the barbershop video, the short black guy. So he seems to be causing a lot of problems in the community. Now, when y'all put up, I got a suggestion for y'all. Y'all would like to put up rewards for uh, people that see murders, shootings, 25,000, 5,000. Maybe you need to do that for the police to turn each other in. I think that's a good idea. I think they agree with me too. So just like you tell us uh, uh, stop snitching is bad or is not bad, you need to incentivize the police to do the right thing. Do the right thing. So that's something y'all need to look at. Incentivize the so-called good cops. Give them something a little extra so they can, they can rid the force of the termites that pollute the community. People like me, people like everybody here who mind their business and just want to live and enjoy their life. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. All right. My name is M.B. Cottingham. I have no problem letting this room know who I am. Okay. For everyone in this room, I'm that guy that pretty much launched all of this right here from my video, I'm Mr. Stop Fingering Me Bro. That's what you can look it up as on Google, YouTube, okay? This happened on my birthday, 
on my birthday while I'm standing congregated on the corner. Yes, it was about 10 to 12 guys. But we were talking about doing something positive for my birthday. Okay? This happened in front of my son. My son is, he just turned 18, which means he can go to big boy jail. Okay? The officers pulled up on the street, hopped out the car, asked us for guns. Everyone, almost simultaneously, said, we don't have no guns. Lift up your shirt. I asked the guy, do you need me to do the hokey pokey? Meaning, turn myself around just to show you that I don't have any weapons. Okay? The officer, if you pull this video up, people in this room, you know, you can do it quietly. Because I would like to get some feedback before I leave here. You know, those officers humiliated me in front of my child, in front of my friends, in my community, which my family paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for that house. Okay? Taxpaying citizens. I am too. I'm also a business owner. Okay? I'm a vendor. Something small, but I'm doing something positive. Yes, I used to get in trouble when I was young. Okay? But that's when they took the recreation from us, recreation department from us over there on, in Southeast. 1998 was the year, I can tell you. I, was, I turned 18 then. That's when I had no other alternative, couldn't find anything to do. So the, my friends, a lot of them at the time, were in the streets. Guess where I wind up? In the streets. Okay? I've went to jail, done my time for my crimes, and I've changed my life. Okay? I'm proud of the change that I made because, to be honest, I didn't believe that I can do it with the resources that we have. Period. I'm a young black man still. My son is younger than me, like I tell him. He laughed about that video with the cops' hand all in my ass. Sorry, people. But that's what happened. And then as he leaves the scene, he taunts me. Hey, What's up, world star? Free the workhorse. What? That's, I mean, this is my community that I grew up in all of my life. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I'm sitting there with my family and friends talking about doing something to enjoy my birthday. In this city, black men don't get to see a lot of birthdays, people. Okay? Okay? Of all ages. And again, I was very humiliated, embarrassed, because guess what I was known as for a few months? The guy that got his ass played with by the police. This is what people would say to me. Okay? I stopped vending, stopped making my money, which provides for my family. Because I was that hurt and humiliated to the point where I didn't even want to deal with the public let alone the officers. They pull up all the time over there in Southeast and Southwest. Do you all have guns? No, but you all do. And in that video, you can see that I was very uncomfortable with that officer doing what he was doing to me. And I turned around, almost punched him in his face. But I'm going to tell you what stopped me. I didn't want to become a hashtag. And teddy bears being under that tree. Hmm? That's not a way to live. 
I'm a taxpaying citizen too, just like everyone up there on that panel. I should be able to enjoy my community that I pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to live in. Period. I'm done. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you both. Um, you know, and I think that you're, we, we heard from earlier today too, some individuals who came and shared their stories. And I know it's not easy. Um, and I just want to thank you for also just having, having the guts uh, to come help tell the stories. It is important. This is why we hold this hearing and why we come out here to make sure that we listen. Because um, it's incredibly important for us to be able to hear these stories directly uh, about how your life has been impacted, your son's life has been impacted. Um, and, and take that back with us for, for the further work that we do. Um, I just have just a couple of quick questions. Um, to JT, the, the three officers, did you, have you, for example, filed any type of uh, police complaint or, or anything like that? Uh, yeah, um, I filed a complaint. I think I went to talk to them in January. Mm -hmm. They got back to me May 22nd. And they said that they were going to retrain those guys. Next thing you know, Rogers is on the video messing with the dudes yeah. in Northeast. The same dude. Just you know what yeah. I'm saying? And there's other stuff I know that I can't talk about. But that guy has a lot of problems, apparently. Okay. Um, so, so for us, we need to see something happen. We need to see something move because we just talking and everything and nobody's getting fired or disciplined or removed. We don't have faith. If right. there's no movement, like all this talk is this political when we really need the action behind it so the people could feel safe in their community. So they will engage with the officers and, and feel safe and comfortable around them. Yep. Nope. That's um, that faith and that trust is part of what we we have definitely heard over and over again. And you're, you're spot on with that. Um, I would ask maybe if we can talk after the hearing so you can share more about what you wanted to share. Um, and so we'll follow up with you. No I'd like problem. Be able to do that no if problem. we can. Um, and then Mr. Was it Cottingham? Yes, sir. Mr. Cottingham. I, um, I appreciate it. You know, I, you speak very powerfully about what the experience was, what the impact was, um, making sure people understand that the impact of, of an interaction like that uh, not just has on you, but it has on your family, on your son, um, on your friends, on everything. Um, you know, we talked in the, the morning hearing that we had, one of the things that we talked about was that we've got to have better accountability from MPD when there is an investigation and it, it feels like it goes into a black hole and we don't know what happened. It's not a black what hole. Were, what were the, the consequences? But one of the things that I tried to talk to the chief about is that even if there is, at the end of the line, some type of disciplinary action, some type of accountability that takes place, the damage has been done. Your son can't unsee what took place. You can't unexperience what took place. And we're, we've got to work on the accountability, but we've got to work also on the culture so that it doesn't happen in the first place. And okay. that's, that to me is a big part May of the I work. May I speak one more have. time? Yes, Please, sir. Okay. Well, um, most officers approach, I mean, okay, I don't want to sound biased here, but most white officers, they approach black men with aggression and provoke us. You understand? Mm -hmm. They provoke us into things instead of just doing the initial job. 
why should I have to uh, be fearful of the people that were sworn in? You swear yourself in court to tell the truth, whole truth, nothing but the truth. You know that part? Yeah. They were sworn in to protect us. I don't feel protected. Period. When I see the police, I go the opposite way. Whether I'm doing anything or not, and I'm not the only one, everyone in this room feels that way. They're not here to help us. It seems like, like someone said earlier, it's coming from a higher chain of command to address us like this. All of us are not aggressive. Look at me, I'm in here in flip-flops. I was sitting on the couch cooking dinner for my kids. They said this meeting was going, and I said, I'm going. I need to speak on this. Because, again, I'm embarrassed. Right now, I had to really have a talk with myself to come in here and talk to everyone about this. Because when I leave this room, I want to feel like a change is coming. Like, seriously, man. I don't want to be fearful of the police. I may just need their help. One time, matter of fact, I'll give you an incident. I had a flat tire coming from the club, 1 o'clock in the morning, South Capitol Street Bridge. An officer pulled up. The first thing he did was pull his gun out. I got a flat tire. I needed help. He could have helped me change the flat tire to feel more safe. Why do you feel like your life is in jeopardy because you see a black man this one o'clock in the morning with no lights around? You're going to put your gun out on me thinking I'm doing something wrong? No, sir, I was trying to get home to my kids. You understand? After a night of enjoying myself. It's hard to enjoy yourself here in D.C. as a black man. We get in the crowd, they swear we up to no good. We can't congregate outside. Is what y'all running us indoors? What, I'm supposed to go to work, pay my rent, stay in the house? Stay in the house? No, sir. I don't believe in it. I have kids I have to show the world to. You have been listening to part one of our presentation of D.C. residents speaking out on brutality and misconduct by the Metropolitan Police Department at a hearing held July 12th 2018 by the D.C. Council. This is the first in a series featuring unheard voices of resistance from 2018. This is On the Ground, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital on Pacifica Radio. We will return with our regular programming in September. You can reach us and listen to complete versions of our shows on our website, onthegroundshow.org. If you are a listener and are on Facebook, please like our Facebook page, On the Ground Show. Our show has a picket sign with green letters that say On the Ground. On the Ground Show is also on Twitter and on iTunes under WPFW On the Ground. I'm Esther Averam. Until next time, keep raising your voice. Peace.
didn't mean to take up all your sweet time. I'll give it right back to you. I wanted to do. 